Exodus chapter number 17. We're going to begin there reading in verse number 8. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, a somewhat familiar story. Those of you that have been in church for a good number of years will certainly know the story. Uh, for others of you, it may be new. Uh, and so we'll spend some time kind of laying the groundwork of what's taking place here and then make application to how that affects our lives today. Uh, and so if you found your place there, let's stand together uh, as we begin reading Acts chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter number 17 uh, and verse number 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of a hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek with his people and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, Because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And I want to speak this morning on this thought. Remember the victory. Let's pray. Fathers, we thank you today for the ability that we have to come together. Lord, we thank you that we're able to, that we have a place to. Lord, thank you for uh, the sacrifices that have been made so that we can meet and assemble. Lord, I pray that you'd bless your word now and that you would open it to our eyes and open our hearts to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak uh, to each one of us, that you would, Lord, confront us with our sin, that you would compel us uh, to commit our lives to Christ, and Lord, that you would be honored and glorified by everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, and amen. Thank you, and be seated, please. If we look here this morning, we talk about remembering victories. When we're talking about here that uh, it's important that we remember how we got where we are. Uh, it's important that for looking forward that we remember the things, the mechanisms that helped us to uh, succeed. In this text, Amalek is uh, fighting against Israel, and that's not a strange thing. They are continually, or have at this point, uh, from about the latter part of Genesis chapter 36 and, and beyond, uh, up until now, you see them surface and come in and out, and they're always at conflict. They're a thorn in Israel's side. No matter how you shake it, they're a problem. So where do they come from? Amalek came, uh, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Uh, and so you go all the way back into the early book of Genesis uh, and you look at, uh, at Jacob and Esau, Isaac's sons, and, and see them come out. Well, uh, the grandson of Esau is Amalek, and he is someone who the Bible describes in Genesis 36, 12 as being born after the flesh. So that doesn't mean his physical birth. It means that the, the manner in which he uh, came to be and was conceived was immoral. Uh, his mother was a concubine. Uh, and it was displeasing to the Lord. It was outside of the parameters of what God had set. And so thus the term 
after the flesh. In other words, rather than being brought into this world righteously, he was brought into this Lord into this world as someone by the act of someone who was just pursuing to satisfy their own desires, uh, and so he's, it, it's symbolic of all of our desires that are against God, uh, things that take us away from God. Now we say terms like that, and we we immediately think about uh, gross immoral sins, but the reality is is that anything that derives or detracts my attention from serving God is a sin. So when we look at the application of this throughout the message this morning, what we're talking about here is not just, uh, you know, these big overt things that we all can easily look at and say, yeah, if you have any understanding of the Bible at all, yeah, that displeases God, that's a sin. The reality is, is that application-wise, this helps us to overcome every sin in our life. The little besetting sins, the little things that just kind of steal your joy or steal your uh, your sense of victory and your desire to want to serve God. And so uh, we see all of that kind of presented here as we, uh, as we look at the symbology that's kind of overlaid in what's taking place here. So as the father of the Amalekites, he is Israel's persistent enemy. Kind of like that, that nagging sin, that thing in your life that you, you get victory over it for a while and then it kind of rears back up and gets victory over you and it's a constant struggle throughout life. It could be anger, it could be bitterness, it could be uh, some other, it could be a, a substance, it could be cigarettes or alcohol, it could be any number of things that, uh, that would hinder our walk and our relationship with God and our ability to serve Him, our testimony with the Lord. Uh, and so it is a type of flesh uh, in the believer is what we see here. And we see that alluded to as the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter number 4 and verse 29 when he said, But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. And so that which I have in me that has been a hindrance to my life and my spiritual development it's there. It's a present problem. It comes back. It wants to be a distraction until it can overwhelm and overtake. And so the message here is this, that we're persecuted by our own flesh. Now, we all understand the concept of having enemies, and certainly Satan is the enemy of God, and Satan is our enemy. The Bible calls him our adversary in Second Peter. And so he is adversarial to us. But in my experience... My worst enemy is not Satan. And my worst enemy is not the enemies of God out in the world at large. My number one enemy in successfully living the Christian life is me. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my own biggest problem. Why? Because uh, there, are just, there are just things that we get distracted with, I get distracted with, or there are things that, uh, that you know, I kind of drift off into that take away from my ability to stay focused in my relationship with God, to serve Him faithfully. Now, I'll say this, the things that I struggle with today are not the same things that I struggled with 30 years ago when I got saved, when I gave my heart to Christ. My, my besetting sins, if you will, are not the same things, and they shouldn't be. Uh, someone that's, that just learned of Christ, someone that just gave their heart to Christ, uh, there are going to be things in their life that the Holy Spirit's going to begin to work on them about and show them. Uh, and as they learn more of the Bible, they're going to come to understand that, hey, this, this is not helping me serve God. This is not helping me uh, be a good witness or testimony to those of my family or my friends. And uh, those things will change over time. But throughout my lifetime, growing in Christ is a never-ending part of the journey. 
Uh, it's something that should be constant in my life. Now, that's not to say that, you know, I'm sitting at my desk at home or my desk here with a checklist of all of these things that uh, are good and bad and I got to do these or not those. It really transcends that. There are some obvious things that fall into that category, but, but when you really get down to living your life in a way that pleases God and that God can bless you, it, it far transcends that. It becomes about those little things that maybe no one else is aware of. And they're, they're really, for, for some people, it may not distract their walk with God. It may not, my point is this, there are some things that are sinful for me that are not sinful for Elizabeth. Because she can roll along and she can go and do something or say something or be around somebody that it doesn't, it doesn't harm her attitude toward the Lord or her service to God. Whereas me, it just becomes a distract, becomes a problem. Not a problem with the person or the thing, but a problem with me uh, and my relationship with God. And so I want you to think bigger than just a, a checklist of sins. All right. This, is, this, is, this helps our Christian life altogether. So what's taking place here? The Amalekites have formed and they are coming in to battle Israel. And Moses comes at the behest of God and he looks and sees that it's time to do war. The Amalekites have defeated Israel at times and, uh, and they're, they're a challenging enemy. They are an enemy to be respected. They are uh, an enemy that they understand has more people. They could overwhelm them. And so Moses comes and Moses commands Joshua to take some men and to form his army and to go down into the valley. And he says, while you go down into the valley, uh, me and Aaron and her, we're going to go up on the mountaintop and I'm going to take the rod of God. And God has instructed us in this fight. God has led us to this conflict. And God is with us in this conflict. And by the way, God is with you and God is with me in a conflict over the sin of my life that, that hinders my walk with him. He wants us to be victorious. And so Moses goes to the top of the mountain and he lifts the rod. And so long as the rod is elevated, they win the, they're winning the battle. Joshua is able to succumb uh, to, uh, to, to, to defeat the enemy. Uh, and he talks about that in the text when he, uh, when he says that uh, he uh, over, overcame them uh, and discomfited them uh, with the edge of the sword. That means he was gaining the advantage. They were winning the battle. They were taking ground in the, uh, in the battlefield. And so they're, they're inching ahead. But when Moses' arms got tired and the rod came down, then they began to lose the battle. Uh, and more of their soldiers began to die. And so there's a, a, a real struggle that's going on here. Uh, and then Aaron and Hur come and they notice that. And so they take one on each side and they lift Moses' arms up with the rod. And they give him a, a stone to sit upon so that they can stand there and keep the rod up that they might win the battle. Now... That's a simple enough story. It is a miraculous working of God. Uh, it is not anything to do really with the rod other than the symbolic of God's power and their connection to it. And so this is what we see when we kind of break this down and look here. Moses was the key to the victory. And it's interesting that he's the key to the victory and he's not even down in the battle. He's the key to the victory because he is a type or a representation of the Holy Spirit. So if you were to look at this and apply it to the Christian life today, when I look at Moses here, who I see is the Holy Spirit of God working behind the scenes to give me victory over sin in my life. And so uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that none of us are strong enough to overcome even the little sins in our life for long. 
There are things that we can be disciplined enough about that we could say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from this or I'm going to engage in this activity. I'm going to, but it's only, it only lasts for a while. Why? Because, because we're not strong enough. And God didn't intend for us to fight and win that battle alone. God intended us to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. That's why the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons he indwells us and lives with inside of us once we gave our heart to Christ. And so Moses is the key to the victory, just like the Holy Spirit is the key to you and I having victory over the sin in our lives. Now, the next characters we see here are Aaron and Hur, uh, and they're holding up Moses' hands. Now, the typology here is a little bit more simple, and uh, that it just simply references the, the prayers of the saints. It is praying for one another. It is praying for someone that you know is having a difficult time. It's praying for someone that's succumbing to temptation. It's praying for someone that's struggling with sin or someone that uh, is having uh, other issues in their life and they've got a battle on their hands. Uh, Aaron and her coming alongside and lifting up those arms symbolizes the power that's within the prayer life of the believer to support one another and to help one another live for and love God. Then we see Joshua and Israel. Joshua and Israel, that, that, that's us. Now, we're somewhat symbol, symbol, or sim, symbolized here with Aaron and her and that we do pray for one another. But with Joshua and Israel, this gets personal. Now, I'm the one with the struggle. When I'm Joshua and Israel here, I'm the one that's engaged in battle and needs someone to be praying for me. And the point is this, it's that we have to engage the enemy. You cannot defeat an enemy that you never engage in battle. The enemy must be engaged. Now, sometimes the enemy may be Satan. Sometimes the enemy may be uh, other things. But most of the time, the enemy is me. And I can look at specific things in my life, maybe anger or bitterness or, uh, or, uh, or hatred or uh, whatever it is that kind of you struggle with or I struggle with. And we can lay that out there. and we, That's the enemy. I have to, in other words, if I'm today struggling with a problem and I'm, say I'm, I'm bitter at somebody, uh, then I've got to engage that problem. I have to engage in battle with that issue. I have to be honest enough with myself and I have to let the Holy Spirit examine my heart and reveal to me, honestly, things that are just not easy to accept or to hear. And instead of avoiding them or excusing them or sidestepping them, I have to embrace them and I have to face them head on. I have to engage the problem. And so Joshua and Israel are in the battle, in the valley, engaging the enemy. They're living and they're dying based upon the prayers of the saints and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They are living and dying based upon whether Aaron and Hur are strong enough to hold up the hands of Moses to keep the, uh, the, arm, the rod of God lifted. And so that's the text of what's going on and the background of what's going on here. The Spirit and His power are accessed by prayer. So here we are in the battle. Here's the rod of God of Moses. And we have to have prayer to access that power. So we must be engaged with the Lord in prayer. So we battle and we're winning or losing according to how effectively we are engaged with the Spirit of God through prayer. And it holds up that prayer, the hands of the Spirit. And then he says in verse 14, write a memorial for Joshua for I will destroy Amalek or I will destroy the flesh, the sins of the flesh. So why is that important? It's important because he's telling them, listen, while Joshua is down in the battle, he doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. He can't see, he can't, he can't be looking and focusing up at Moses to see whether his hands are up or down. 
he can't look and see whether they're uh, are there helping him. He has to be focused on what he's doing. He has to be focused on the enemy, focused on the battle, the task at hand. So write this for a memorial. I want him to remember. I want them to remember so that when new battles come, they understand how to win victory. So they understand how to overcome. Listen, because the basic, the bottom line is this. If I can learn this as a Christian, whether I'm a new Christian or whether I've been someone that's been saved for a long time, if I get to a place in my life where I understand the process of winning a victory over a sin in my life, the process of winning victory over sin in my life is the same for the next sin and the next sin and the next sin and the next sin and the next sin. I, it's not like I have to reinvent the wheel and go through a different process for everything in my life. There may be some modifications, but the basic principles biblically to getting forgiven for my sin, to getting and obtaining the power of the Spirit of God, to having the blessing of God in my life, and to living victoriously my life for the glory of God are, are going to be the same, whether I'm dealing with something that is, uh, whether something that's an obvious big sin, maybe when I first got saved, to something that's no one can really detect or tell outside of my own heart whenever I'm uh, walking with the Lord and closer to Him later in life. But it's still sin. And it still has to be dealt with in the same way. And it's still just as destructive to my walk with God. It's still just as destructive to God's empowerment of my life. So we're going to look at three basic things here about this battle this morning. And how we have to approach these things in our life. We have to approach them honestly. We have to approach them sincerely. And we have to seek God in the midst of all of it. The first thing that I would say this morning is this. Is that I must remember the power of the enemy. I must remember the power of the enemy. Listen, you go back and you study history and you can see a lot of times throughout history where it was not the biggest army or the most technologically advanced army that won the battle. There are many times in history where a smaller, less prepared force won victory because they were not respected by the people that they were attacking. Alexander the Great defeated Darius, Darius of the book of Daniel, uh, had an army of 240,000, 250,000 men, and Darius, or Alexander the Great defeated him with an army of 40,000 men. Uh, you look at different times in history, the element of surprise was what made the difference, but it was a lesser force conquering a superior force because they simply did not respect the power of the enemy. Israel here respects the power of the Amalekites. They understand that these are people that have caused us harm and have set us back before. And if I'm going to win victory, I have to look in my heart and my life and understand, yeah, this is an area in my life that's a struggle for me and I better respect it. Because when I fail to respect it, I set myself up for failure. I set myself up for defeat. When I begin to get cocky and begin to think, you know, I've got this conquered. I've got, uh, I've got this taken care of. I put this behind me. This isn't a problem anymore. Then all of a sudden, when I least expect it, it's going to pop up. It's going to surprise me and it's going to take me down. Why? How do you know that, Pastor? Because that's what sin does. And we have, uh, we have generations of testimonies to speak to that truth. And there's nothing new under the sun. And we're certainly uh, not any better as Christians than the generations that preceded us. And we need to be focused in remembering the fact uh, that we have to respect the power of our enemy. Listen, Satan is strong. He's stronger than we are. He's smarter than we are. He's more powerful than we are. And he has all of the demons of hell. And he has a system that he's put on across the world to push his agenda 
uh, but when it comes right down to it, it's between me and my own flesh and the decisions that I make as to whether or not I'm going to succumb or whether I'm going to serve God. And so two thoughts that we see about this. And by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that Satan is the God of this world. And 2 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that he is our adversary as a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's walking around looking for an opportunity, looking for a moment of weakness, a moment of vulnerability, a moment when he can take that thing that I think that I've conquered and throw it back in my face in a moment of weakness and cause me harm. So what are two things that I need to remember about the power of the enemy? To respect him. And listen, I'm not talking about a respect in the sense of that th th the enemy's too strong and I can't win victory. But a respect and understanding that if I don't handle this right, if I don't approach this correctly, if I don't employ the power of God uh, in my life in this area, then I, I cannot do this alone. I, the enemy is not undefeatable, but he is if I try to do it in my own strength. I have to do it with God. So we see two primary things here. First, that he's strong enough to overpower me. Listen, whatever sin it is in your life that you struggle with, it is strong enough to overpower you. It doesn't matter how weak it seems at the moment. It doesn't matter how, uh, how diminished it may seem in your life. If, you, if it left unattended, not respected, it will rise and it will gain strength and power. And when the moment is right, it will make its move and it will bring us down. It's just respect. It's not an ungodly fear. It's not a, it is, it is a recognizing that this is something that is toxic to my Christian life. And I want to be cautious about it. I want to be mindful of it. I want to, I want to watch it. Listen, I've been around some people where I know, I know who they are. I know how they act. And I watch everywhere that I go in the room. I want to know where they're at. And there are just some people. I'm glad that didn't happen very often. But I've been in situations and places where I've looked and I've thought, you know, I've got to keep an eye on this person. I've got to, I want to always know where this is at, where this is going, what's going on here. Uh, others that are, uh, other problems that come up, you just it keep an eye. It's just a respect. It, it is dangerous. And it has to be respected. The second thing is that I have to realize that my enemy is sophisticated enough to deceive me. Most people in the Christian life that have a sincere heart to serve God do not succumb to sin because they just woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I want to go out today and I want to blow all the progress in my Christian life over the last so many months or years or whatever. Most of the time it's because we have been deceived into accepting it, we've rationalized where it's okay or where it's not as bad as we see as it seems, and we just incrementally take little steps to where uh, we get to a point where when we uh, engage in whatever it is that we look at it and we say, "Hey, this wasn't that big of a deal, but now it's destroyed us. Now it's been a major setback." It is sophisticated enough to deceive us. Listen, if my own heart, Jeremiah says, is desperately wicked, can deceive me, then I better believe that the sinful things in my life are sophisticated enough to cause me to think, hey, this isn't going to hurt my walk with God that much. The second thing we see this morning is not only do we need to remember the power of the enemy, but we need to remember the plan of battle. There is a plan for the battle. There is a plan for you to have a victorious Christian life. There is a plan for you to overcome the things in your life that overcome you. 
There is a plan for us to grow in the grace of God. What is the battle plan? See, what we see in the first point here about remembering the power of the enemy is that the Christian life is a struggle. Really, all life is a struggle. But when we really want to do, live in a way that honors and pleases God, the Christian life is a struggle. What we see in the second point, and when we remember the plan of battle, is the sacrifice. Everything that is worth having, everything that is valuable, came at sacrifice. There's a cost. And if we do not appreciate the cost of the sacrifice, then we will not value that which we possess. If I cannot appreciate the cost and the sacrifice in lives and blood that provided me the country in which I've been born and grown up in and have served and live in, then I will never fully appreciate what I have in my nation. If I lose sight of the sacrifice that God made to buy my salvation, to set me free from my sin, to give me eternal life, then I'll never appreciate the value of that eternal life that I have. Why is it some people, they give their heart to Christ and for the rest of their life, they just serve the Lord. Others, they give their heart to Christ uh, and then in just a short amount of time, they forsake everything that uh, God has done for them and, and they just go off and they go back to the way they were and do whatever. Well, there's a lack of appreciation of value for the cost. If I value what something costs, I take better care of it. I'm more invested in it. You know, if I were to go out today and buy a $500 junk car uh, and, and have it to just kind of run around town or do whatever, uh, I'm not really too concerned about keeping care of it. But 10 years ago when I bought my truck and it was new, with the idea that I'm driving this thing into the ground, I have kept taking care of it. I've tried to keep the oil changed. I've tried to fix things as they were wearing out before they broke and caused more damage. I've made some investments along the way. It was something that was more valuable to me uh, than something else that I had that maybe didn't cost as much. If something, and I appreciate the cost of something, and I value it, I'm invested in it. And so we, we want to be invested in the Christian life. And one of the hardest things for some people to do, especially whenever there's been such a long period of times of ease in a lot of ways, is to remember that there was a great sacrifice that was made to provide salvation to me. There's a great sacrifice that's been made to, get, to make God's blessing available to me. There's a great sacrifice that's been made uh, to make it possible for me to effectively live the Christian life. Listen, there is a battle plan. The Amalekites are here. Moses goes to Joshua and he says, listen, here come the Amalekites and you're going to go down there and fight them and here's the plan. I'm going to go up here and I'm going to engage in the power of God. And they're going to come up here and they're going to help me and they're going to be in prayer. And you're going to go down there and you're going to face the enemy. This is the plan for the battle. This is the plan of attack. So when we talk about remembering the plan of battle, just remember three simple things about this. First thing that I want to remind us that we must remember is that I must engage the enemy. I'm not going to belabor that point. I've already made it a little bit and was leading up to this. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you have a problem uh, with your tongue or if you have a problem with your eyes or if you have a problem with what you ingest or if you have a problem with how you think or how you treat other people, the only way that you can ever win victory over that is not by avoiding it and certainly not by excusing it. It is by engaging it. 
It is recognizing that this is destructive and that this is displeasing to God and that if I want victory over this, it must be engaged. I cannot engage it in my own strength. I cannot engage it in my own power. I must engage it biblically. I must engage it in prayer and I must engage it with the power of the Holy Spirit and then physically engage in the battle. Go to work on the issue. Say, Pastor, I've got so many problems that I don't even know where to start. Just pick one and start on it. Don't try to eat the whole elephant in one meal. Uh, just, just pick something and work on it. I mean, uh, if you're Roger back here this morning uh, and you want to start making a list that's, uh, uh, to, of things to work on, his list isn't that long, but his mom's list for him is a little longer. And his little sister's list, we can't even get it in the room. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, it's, it's there. They've got all of Roger's problems. He can't fix them all at one time, but he can start somewhere and go to work. He can start somewhere and recognize the issue. He can start somewhere and engage the enemy with the power of the Spirit of God so that God is glorified and so that his life begins to please him. I must engage the enemy. The second thing I would say is this, that I must be prepared for the battle. We don't send people into combat that are untrained. We don't, we don't put our, our military people out there untrained. They go through extensive training. And there may be some that have more experience than others that are more prepared than others, but, but that training is a time of sacrifice. I saw uh, this morning in a headline a young man that wanted to join a particular branch of the military, uh, but he was very overweight. Uh, but he was committed to wanting to join the military. He's just an older teenage guy. Uh, he might be 20, but he looked like he was about 15. So I would say he was probably 17 or 18, getting ready to go. He lost 186 pounds so that he would be accepted. That's a lot of commitment. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of dedication. That's a lot of preparation just so that he could go to get prepared for something that was next. And I'm just saying, if I just go through my life as a Christian and wait until the battle is staring me in the face and I've never done any work of preparation, I'm going to fail. We don't train our men and women for combat on the battlefield. We train them in garrison. We train them at their home bases. We train them in a peaceful setting. We train them so that whenever the battle comes, they're prepared. And too many Christians face the battle of this flesh unprepared. We go at it in our own ability, in our own power, rather than being prepared for battle. How do I prepare for battle, Pastor? Well, be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to attend services. Be faithful to read your Bible. Be faithful in prayer. And prayer is what's really emphasized in this passage. I mean, the symbolism of holding up the hands of, uh, of Moses. I must be prepared for the battle. Well, Pastor, I'm not in a battle. Great. Start preparing. But I don't know what's battle to prepare for. Listen, you know and I know what the things in our life are that are most likely to defeat us. Make preparation. Say, well, sometimes I have a problem with this issue, but right now it's really not much of a temptation. But you know it's going to be a temptation sooner or later. Make preparation now. Make decisions. I, I always try to teach our our kids and, uh, and our young people, don't wait until someone sticks something in front of your face and then make a decision about it. You almost always make the wrong decision. 
You know, as uh, I remember whenever my family, when we left Texas and I was in fifth grade and went up north to uh, the school there, and my uh, grandmother moved with and, uh, and she pulled my two cousins that lived there all the time aside uh, and, and there was a lot of drugs around. There were, I mean, you could walk down to the high school and all the kids are sitting out across the street doing drugs on the hoods of their cars and uh, nobody, and this is in the late 70s and early 80s, and nobody really do anything about it. And she was always worried about, uh, about them getting involved in that and getting sucked into that crowd and so she'd pull us all aside and made us all promise we'd never do this and we'd never do that uh, and you know I it was never really a temptation to me because in my mind I already knew hey I promised my grandmother I was going to do that and so whenever the decision was already made so if you know that you've got something in your life that is a problem the decision the, the time to make the decision isn't whenever it's staring you in the face the decision should already be made I'm going to, when this flares up, this is what I'm going to do. When this problem attacks me, this is how I'm going to handle it. When I face this enemy, when I feel this emotion, when I'm overwhelmed by, uh, by this thing in my life, this is how I'm going to address this problem. I'm prepared for the battle. Are you prepared for your battle this morning? Because you have a battle. I have one. You have one. No one is exempt. But are we prepared for it? Or are we just not respecting the enemy and floating through life and trying to manage the best we can while we're sinking. The third thing I would say about remembering the plan of the battle is that I must fight in his strength. Too many people, too many Christians try to fight their battles and their sin in their own power instead of in the power of God. I must fight it in his strength. Again, it comes back to prayer and devotion and commitment to God. Thirdly, I would say this. First, we talked about remembering the power of the enemy, that struggle that we're in, and then remembering the plan of battle, the sacrifice that's been made to give victory. And then I would say this, remember the pretext of victory. So Roman numeral three, remember the pretext of victory. Three parts of this as well. I would say first, go in his strength. They did not go into the battle in their own strength. They went in the strength of God. They went in God's power. Don't engage in battle until you have the power of God. Well, pastor, this is facing me. I'm going to face this. What do I do? You go and you get God's power before you go out into the battlefield. If that means committing to a season of prayer, if that means uh, uh, making some, uh, some inquiry into the Bible and coming up with that plan, but go in God's strength, not your own. The second thing I would say about that is strive for the glory of God, not your own glory. I would say it this way. Somebody can come in, they can give their heart to Christ, they can have areas in their life that they're struggling with uh, and then begin to develop and begin to grow. Uh, and then a kind of a battle rages and they're, they're fighting the battle. They're winning the battle, but they're winning the battle so that they can go into uh, their Sunday school class or their uh, next RU meeting or their go home and tell their family about, hey, uh, this is what I did. And the glory, the one that's glorified is me rather than God. And what he's talking about here is go and strive for the glory of God. It wasn't Moses that was just standing up there with his hands up so that everybody could look and see hey, powerful, how powerful Moses was. All of the attention was on the rod. It was the power of God. And it is the power of God that overcomes sin. It's the power of God that strengthens my faith. And it is God that should receive the glory for victory that's given in our lives. And then I need to remember this. 
that if I'm respecting my enemy and I'm self-evaluating honestly and critically and sometimes painfully, and I'm remembering that I must engage the battle in the power of God, and I'm doing that, then I must also remember that if I do those things, not in my strength, but in His, not in my power, but in His, then victory is certain. Sometimes we get to the point where things in our life just get so big that we just feel like I'm just going to give up because it's so much, it's so overwhelming that I just can't win. And if I'm doing it in my own power, I'm right. But if I'm doing it in His power, victory is certain. As long as the rod was extended, as long as those arms were held up in prayer, as long as the battle was being engaged, victory was sure. My friends, there's no one that ever has to live a Christian life that is less than empowered and blessed by God. If we do, it's not because God failed. If we do, it's not because God uh, let us down. If we do, it's because we didn't let God do what he wanted to do in our life. Remember, and remembering honors the one who gave the victory. And it gives hope for future victory. I love where he says here, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. The Lord, my banner is what that name means. It is a name of God. God is my banner. I don't know if you've ever been out of the country, if you've ever been someplace else, if you uh, have been to a place, especially in a hostel. But even in times that I've gone places that are friendly, like uh, up into Canada, or if I've traveled down to uh, Nicaragua to teach like I do sometimes uh, when you're there and you're in foreign place and you look up and there's not an American flag anywhere flying over any building it's something else and you're there for a while and you come home and you see that flag flying it's powerful it is a banner it represents freedom it represents power it represents uh, all of the values that we have. And what this is saying is, listen, they went into battle with the Amalekites. Joshua engaged the enemy. Aaron and Hur supported in prayer. Moses held up the rod of God, but God was the banner. When victory came, whenever they turned their attention, it was God who was their banner. It was the flag flying over their land that represented their sovereign, their king, their God. And he's ours too. And the victory that he gave them, he wants to give you in your daily Christian life. And all these things that we have and throughout the scripture, these big things give us so much information, so many uh, stories, so many truths, so many principles. But they all have application to our day, everyday life. And your everyday life and my everyday life should not be a life of defeat. It should be a life of victory so that God is glorified and so that we live in peace and with joy and anxious to, to live the next day to represent our God because even if it gets hard our banner's with us. He's right there and in his strength we have the victory.